1: Welcome to the Now You Know Akron Podcast, brought to you by the journalists of BeaconJournal.com. Each week, they will share their expertise on Akron and Summit County. Now, here's your host,
0: Craig Webb. Thanks for joining us for the Now You Know Akron Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Webb. Our spotlight topic for today's podcast, well, we'll be talking about food. More specifically, we'll be joined by Dan Flowers, the CEO of the Akron Canton Food Bank, who will talk about the operations, its campaign to raise money for the upcoming year, and also some of the quirky stories about the food bank. But first, here's three things you should know from recent headlines on BeaconJournal.com. Our reporter Mark J. Price recalls it's the 30th anniversary since the U.S. Air flight crash in 1992. It was the Cleveland-bound jet crashed into the icy waters off the New York's LaGuardia Airport during a snowstorm. That disaster killed 27 of the 51 people on board, including several people from the Akron area. He talked to some survivors about how life changed for them and friendships were forged through tragedy. This is one story. It's definitely for the birds. Reporter Alan Ashworth spent a day with some University of Akron students who have been restoring an unusual collection of things that the university acquired about 100 years ago. Well, that collection includes hundreds of rare birds that were stuffed that have been used for research and also just for prosperity. These birds are being restored by the students and some of which will be on display at the Summit County Library. And finally the public will get its first chance to venture inside the old Tangier restaurant. The Tangier restaurant is becoming home to the House 330 and to mark the House 330 and that special day on the calendar for those of us who live in the 330 area code on March 30th. The old Tangier will open its doors for public tours. Now, nothing's quite open yet, but the public will get a chance to see what the transformation is going to be like once the restaurants and retail spaces open as part of the LeBron James Family Foundation's effort to create job opportunities for its partner families and also a place for the public to visit to celebrate all things LeBron. For more of these stories and other headlines, you can always visit BeaconJournal.com and receive subscriber-exclusive content you can't get anywhere else once you subscribe to our various apps and BeaconJournal.com. So we're joined today by Dan Flowers, and he is the executive director and, I guess, Grand Poobah of the Akron Canton Food Bank.
1: And so welcome, first of all. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, uh, I uh, I am glad to have an opportunity to talk a little bit about the food bank or whatever you want to talk about today. So I know you went, so I
0: called you the Grand Poobah. I don't know. It's been kind of answered all titles.
1: Well, that's a uh, a great Flintstones reference, and uh, having come up in that generation, I'll never forget. You know how cool it was. I used to just get a kick out of the, the picture of uh, Fred and Barney at uh, at the uh, Water Buffalo Club with their hats on, and the shenanigans yeah. that took place.
0: <laughs> now we just drink Harry Buffaloes. But so we'll start out because right now we're in the midst of kind of an important time, right? Thanks. And this is uh, I would say critical. Maybe that might be overplaying it, but but it, it's an important time
1: for your organization right now. Yes, indeed it is. You know, um, on Tuesday morning, we kicked off our annual Harvest for Hunger campaign. It's our biggest food and funds drive that takes place every year. Uh, and it's a really cool uh, partnership. I think it's just the 31st year of the Harvest for Hunger campaign. And it started years ago as a result of, I think it was, um, there was some type of a um, of legal action. Uh, and a judge, I, I think, called on the grocery stores to put together a program to support their local food banks. And that was the beginning actually 31 years ago, and that's way predates me of the Checkout Hunger program, which is still the bedrock of the Harvest for Hunger campaign. So, you know, there's 19 counties um, that are covered by the four food banks that partner in this campaign, and throughout that area, basically any grocery store um, is still running the Checkout Hunger campaign, and that's where people will go through the aisle and they'll make a donation, and it always goes to the local food bank that supports that particular area. And so that's that's where the majority of the money uh, from the campaign comes from. It's the easiest way to get involved and support it. Uh, But of course, there's a lot of corporations that are, you know, uh, behind the campaign as well. And, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time during these two months going to different events of flipping pancakes and to chili cook-offs. And um, I think it's been woven into a lot of the corporate cultures uh, of the of the companies that support us. And, um, you know, it's a big deal for us, too, of course. It's uh, you know, I worked for a long time at at the. Food Bank of Eastern Michigan and Flint. And, you know, most food banks around the country are very active in fundraising during the holiday season, where a lot of attention goes to uh, charitable uh, organizations. And here... When I got here, I was really surprised that uh, not only was there a pretty significant holiday campaign, but there was this additional campaign that took place in the spring. Uh, But it really does place Northeast Ohio's food banks at a pretty optimum position. Um, You know, there's a lot of uh, food companies in this area that support Northeast Ohio food banks considerably with surplus food donations, which um, is a real boom to the charities, soup kitchens, and homeless shelters and food pantries that rely on them. And as a result of this Harvest for Hunger campaign, you find food banks with a little bit more uh, financial resources and are able to, you know, further their programming and support charities all the more. So it's a big deal.
0: Sorry, I think I feel like I'm a morning show host, but I feel like we should give the uh, morning show shout out to our eight, to the counties that are that are part of our food
1: bank. Which are what are? They? The roll call, please. Yeah. So, um, you know, the Akron Canton Regional Food Bank services 600 homeless shelters, food pantries uh, and, um, you know, different type of charitable agencies in Medina, Summit, Portage, Wayne, Stark, Tuscarawas, Carroll and Holmes counties. Um, and uh, you know, and it's been doing that for a long time from our headquarters at 350 Opportunity Parkway in Akron. You know what we've done always uh, before we got this Canton building open, and hopefully we could talk a little bit about that. Uh, but um, you know, charities would drive to Akron every day to pick up their food orders. And that's how the food bank operated for 35 years, and um, you know, it was quite a drive. Our biggest, our number one biggest charity that picks up food from the food bank is the Greater Dover, New Philadelphia Food Pantry, uh, and. It's quite a drive uh, for them so you know now they're picking up of course here in our in our in our um, can warehouse
0: just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left listen to where secrets go to die the disappearance of derek Hennigan" from the detroit free press a new podcast Set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your
1: podcasts.
0: So I I, I guess we should start here. This is a big year for the food bank. It's an anniversary year. There's always kind of reflective years of looking past and looking forward. And it's 40 years.
1: Right yeah, story. yeah. The food bank was founded in May of 1982, and um, which incidentally is the same year that the food bank that I worked at in Flint, when I, my career first started, was founded in 1982. A lot of food banks came online during that time. The concept of food banking—do uh, we have time for me to kind of share? Yeah, absolutely, you know. Okay. We'll, yeah, we'll so so it's a, it's a really cool story. There's a book that I love called. The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. And he's a journalist, I think he works at a paper in New York, but he's written a lot of cool books. Like uh, he, he just actually wrote one about like, psychotropic drugs. He's a very interesting guy. But but he wrote this book called, called The Omnivore's Dilemma, and in section one of this book, um, he kind of talks about the way that uh, the food system that we have right now developed in the years after World War II. And that really helped me piece together the contextual um, you know dynamics that were occurring when food banking started started in 1967. There was a guy named John Van Hagel who was volunteering at the St. Mary's Soup Kitchen. And he overheard a couple people that were eating at the soup kitchen that day talking about a company um, that was throwing food away. And they were able to take that food out of a dumpster. And he was like, you know, um, I'm going to go down there and talk to them, see if they'll just give it right to us at the soup kitchen. And so they agreed, the company did. And I think the idea just occurred to him at the time. You know, I'm going to start asking other food companies to give us food donations. And the idea caught on. And before you knew it, he was bringing more food back. Uh, to the soup kitchen than they knew what to do with. And he started sharing it with other charities in town. And then they just all decided to go in together and to get a warehouse. And and that's basically how the idea started. Um, but it was born out of the circumstance that shifted. And um, when the food manufacturing in this country became centralized, it gave way to these centralized production areas where food surpluses could be um, could be brought in at scale. And so the wave of food banks started opening up around the country, and this one started in 1982. Tom Alio uh, led the charge to get this one together. Now, but the basic idea uh, that John Van Hengel discovered there in the late 60s is basically how we operate today. The, the vast majority of food that runs through the Akron Canton Regional Food Bank is donated from food manufacturers and wholesalers and distributors um, around the area here and we bring that food back and we distribute that food to soup kitchens and homeless shelters and food pantries. You know, we we get government contracts now. Um, You know, our programming has gotten a lot more diversified, but that core model is still in the structure of our food bank and food banks all over the country.
0: And that explains the watermelon flavored Oreos, perhaps, that end up at a food bank. I don't know.
1: yeah, funny. I was just out on the dock this morning talking with some charities. They were digging through these bins of products, and there was a bunch of Christmas ornaments and um, and candy canes and stuff. And I said, there is nothing more food bank than a bin full of holiday promotional items two or three months after that holiday. You know, it'll be June, and we'll be uh, going through and uh, distributing the Easter, um, you know, <laughs> Easter candies and things.
0: Well, I will say that the, during the pandemic, there was and we can talk a little more about that, but I, my wife and I, and our, actually our kids, um, volunteered in Medina County, where, at the, at the fairgrounds, and just the eclectic mix of food, and as you said, kind of the post-season, or just the interesting brands of, or, or flavors of potato chips that we kind of went through, but, but, you know, it, it, I mean, in some ways, it makes it fun, right, if you're a
1: recipient, because, you know, you kind of don't know what you might get, I mean, it might be a little bit of a mystery, and, Yeah, that's one of the things that makes food banking interesting um, is because we're in a situation where like like I spent a lot of my time going to food companies and appealing to them to make donations of surplus food products. Um, But when the phone call comes with a donation, it's not a negotiation. You know, it's a do you want this truckload of whatever? Um, And, you know, so I'm always trying to find a way to yes. And sometimes we have to provide recipes Uh, To agencies on, you know, like, for instance, you know, one time we got a whole truckload of big boxes of um, cilantro. You know, and so, so, so I want to cultivate those donors because if you say no, now there's you know every possibility they won't offer you products again. You know, so oftentimes we're trying to be creative in helping you know clear surpluses, find a way so that we can use those to the benefit of the people that we're serving. Um, you know, but sometimes we have to be very creative in how we respond as well. You know, years ago uh, there was an infinite supply of Splenda, like hundreds of truckloads of Splenda uh, that got donated. You know, one time we got a whole truckload of number ten cans of water chestnuts and you know, or Canadian geese. It can be how they awkward. slice were they slice or whole water chestnuts? Because <laughs> there's nothing better than water
0: than a bacon wrapped water chestnuts. Happen to be one of my favorite things in the world. But
1: well so there are discerning water chestnut fans <laughs> out there that you're gonna want to know. <laughs>
0: I'm in the minority, but it, it, I did notice and I, I did attend your, your your kickoff the other day and, and you were mentioning that kind of some new initiatives of, of maybe not necessarily like if you gave me a can of beets, uh, unless I have a kitchen table that the leg is just a little bit short and that can of beets was perfect to level my table, you know I'd be hard pressed to open a can of beets so that you're trying to, you know, meet the needs and, and take the donation, but also trying to maybe work with families and, and you know, partner a little bit to say, are you really going to use two gallons of milk so that you're not on the other end wasting food on, on the other end, right? And so you're, you're trying to experiment a few with some new initiatives, I believe?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one of the primary ways that we can eliminate waste and meet people's nutritional needs, because everyone's a little different, is by giving them an opportunity to choose, you know, what food it is that they take with them. And we've advocated for years that food pantries, for instance, you know, set up shelves where people can go in and, you know, pick. And you see this a lot at food pantries where it's like, you know, a family of blank can have two items of on the shelf here. And you know, by doing that we, you cut down so much on waste and um it's just much more empowering for people. Uh, but when the pandemic came, um because of social distancing, we switched to a pre-made food box model which was very counter to the advocacy we've been doing for the last 20 years regarding uh, client choice. And so we we kind of struggled with that. Like, you know, right now we're, you know, and and we're still making these boxes. Um but when we first flipped on the switch, we weren't really on the food box making business. Um, when the pandemic first came, but, you know, right away when the national guard showed up, uh, in March of 2020, we started pumping out food boxes and we, yeah, I mean, we made tens of thousands of food boxes during this pandemic and we weren't able to afford people, uh, the choices and what went in that food box until, um, in 2021, we were able to launch this order ahead app uh, and we started piloting it at a food pantry that we set up an experimental food pantry at, in our Akron building. And we're now running it full time at the pantry here in Canton, uh, It's just an online app, just like what you would use at a grocery store. Uh, But we load the inventory that's in our food pantries up onto this app. And, um, you know, people can go to it and place an order, make an appointment time, uh, and then they can get exactly what they want in their food box with no waiting. You know, and then we've been able to combine that with DoorDash. We've done over 10,000 deliveries right to people's house with DoorDash, and we're sending out boxes that only have items in them that people were able to choose. And so that's something that we're very proud of. And, you know, it's a great way to, you know, you talk about driving equity in society. Well, you know, so many people that have resources go to the grocery store, they pick out what they're going to eat, Um, you know, and then we had this whole Zoom class throughout the pandemic that, you know, was able to stay home and, you know, maybe find a margin of safety as a result of that. And, you know, I feel like with the DoorDash and the, in, in the Order Ahead program, we've been able to uh, drive a little bit of access to some of these Things that other folks may, you know, find themselves taking for granted, and offering that to low-income people. Among those who were, because some people didn't want to, didn't
0: want to volunteer. I mean, in the beginning of the pandemic, so that's why somebody like me, Fumble Fingers Web, was out there, uh, you know, stuffing cantaloupes in in boxes um, at the fairgrounds. But it it was very humbling to just see car after car and stretching all the way out. The National Guard directing traffic in Medina, you know, because they were almost out onto, you know, they were out onto the
1: state route of just. You you look at this line, they just never end it. Yeah, that's cool to hear that you went out there. Yeah, that that big distribution that feed and medina does. I mean, obviously we've been supplying that uh, from the start, but I've never been able to make it out to one of those distributions. But I did hear there was a lot of traffic. So the national joined government- at five o'clock in the morning. I think that's <laughs> it was an early morning. Seriously? I, it,
0: it was pretty early in the morning, but but I well, guess my question is, you know, from a from your standpoint, you know, I mean you probably feel this is a job that had a lot of responsibility. And and if ever there was a litmus test you know, this pandemic was it. I mean, this was probably, I mean, I'm sure you do stress tests and worst case scenarios and, oh, what happens if this, but did you ever in your wildest imagination imagine those lines and just that immediate need that was just almost overnight? I mean, it was, you know, it almost seemed like the world was coming to an end very quickly.
1: Yeah, it felt like that. Yeah. You know, I think my answer to that would be yes and no. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. And uh, the interesting, the the CEO who who was in charge of the uh, New Orleans Food Bank um, took a job um, in Houston just before Katrina. uh, And so there wasn't Um, full-time leadership in place at that food bank. So uh, they asked other CEOs from around the country to come down there and spend time, um, you know, offering leadership and support to that food bank. So I signed up, I went down there and spent a week in New Orleans. And so I had an opportunity to see not just there, but, you know, I was food banking in 9-11 we had some food bankers from our food bank in Flint go over there. And so food banks have been getting a little bit of experience responding to disasters. And so the idea of setting up food distributions in parking lots, you know, how you triage a a disaster and find out what partners are with you. I'd kind of seen some of that. Now when this pandemic came, I had a sense that like okay, well we're not going to be closing down and you know, if I didn't know if the governor was going to require us to shut and so I was initially having to like run through my mind like, you know, will I uh, how how far will I push to keep us open? And then there was this wave of fear. I mean, when the first pandemic first came out, I think a lot of us were very concerned um, that this could be a potentially fatal uh, line of service for us to be in. And I spent a lot of time like I'd come, come home on the weekends and check my temperature a lot. And I was that worried for my staff and, you know, about, about what it, it was going to require for us. Um, But it's interesting, I kind of had this sort of feeling come over me after a while that was like, I think in order to lead this food bank right now properly – I have to be willing to accept whatever risk is associated with it even if it means getting sick and you know whatever negative things could 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 come to could accompany that. You know and it's interesting how in the in the evolution of a leader when you kind of come to the sense that well honor and duty in this moment requires that I would accept even death if it if it came to me is a very liberating thing. And I think all of our food bank staff members in those early days kind of had to had to wrestle that down on their own about how they were going to uh, treat the risk. Uh, and um, it's interesting now you see in Ukraine, you know, the, the way everyone's lauding, um, you know, the way that uh, the leader Zelensky is acting. And, you know, I keep thinking, even though I it was a fraction, you know, it doesn't even really compare. But you in in, in him, you can kind of see this leader who's done, the, who's done the math. And I think you can see in his mind that um, he knows that this could cost him his life. And he's decided that I'm honor and duty requires it. I think hospital workers and everybody who grappled with it in those early stages, you can see that kind of character come through. And it's an interesting commentary about um, the way we manage fear and the way we choose to go forward and the way we're treated in society as a result of that.
0: I'm just kind of curious if your other worry was, you know, a lot of food went off the shelves pretty quickly and whether you're going to be able to replenish it quick enough or even, you know, with, with supply chain issues and just, you know, disruptions in the manufacturing process and just everything, whether, you know, will there come that day during the pandemic like we have no food or we have to turn yeah. someone? Well,
1: so, you know, we kicked off Harvest for Hunger um essentially on the same day of the year that we kicked off in twenty twenty that we did it this year. So it would have been like probably like um fat Tuesday of that year. And then it was, I think, the the, the 14th, or the 16th, that the National Guard showed up. So just in that time, we went from thinking we were going to have a Harvest for Hunger campaign, which is our biggest annual fundraiser, to all the business, everybody's working from home, and all these corporations that were supporting us weren't able to do it. And so aside from the sort of like individual existential fears that I think a lot of people had to go through during that time, now there was a big existential fear relative to the, um, to the health of the agency. You know, all of our fundraisers were were getting canceled. And, you know, as I mentioned at the breakfast on Thursday, um, you know, we weren't able to get out there and flip pancakes. And had people not just been sending in checks and offering us support and, and helping us along, you know, um, this literally could have taken us out. It was harder to find food. Um, and it still is really hard to find food right now. Our manufacturing donations are still running down considerably uh, from where, the, where they were in 2019. You know, the replenishment times on products that we have to buy, we've been having to buy more food um, as a result of Donations being down has been, they've been extended and delayed. So, you know, there's been a lot of logistical things that have come uh, along with it that have accompanied with it. On top of, you know, not just our food bank, but every business in the area, every organization is having a lot of resignations and people that are leaving and burnout and depression and morale. I mean, it's been hard. It's been really, really hard. Uh, But I think that this food bank is healthy as a result of the community staying with us. We hope they will uh, with this Harvest for Hunger campaign. I know we've had huge impacts. Um, If you were to add up the the retail value of all the food that we've distributed that people have gotten at no cost uh, during this pandemic, it's been around a $100 million. And so we've had huge impacts, um, really, um, you know, eliminating hunger and food insecurity in people's lives, and then also giving them some economic relief, um, you know, during this pandemic. So I'm very proud of the work we've done, but I'm really, really uh, hopeful that we could turn this page and see some stability for, for everybody's sake, you know.
0: Well, I mean, as we say this, there is a war in Ukraine, and, and a majority— i guess of so the world's wheat is produced by russia and ukraine and you know there are fears of more inflation and and just some dis- disruptions to you know that that could happen in our food chain so i mean it's it's a constant worry for people like you so that's why you are uh,
1: an important part of the chain right i mean <laughs> yeah there's a, there's a lot of those worries but you know i see evidence so much evidence of grace you know, and, uh, you know, people's lives and, you know, the donors that have stuck with us and the volunteers who've continued to come in. And, you know, so I'm really deeply, deeply grateful. I'm glad that my leadership is, um, my leadership experience in life has included this, this time. Uh, I'm glad that it hit when I was, you know, eight 18 and a half years into it. So I had a little bit of time and experience, you know, that I could kind of take into it. And I kind of, I kind of had a sense for the way some things went down, you know, we made a lot of mistakes. We got a lot of things right, um, but. Uh, you know, I think when I look back over my career someday, you know, I'll look back over this and feel pretty proud of what the food bank accomplished and, you know, grateful for having had the opportunity.
0: So, and you mentioned earlier that, you know, for those of you who may be watching this on, on a video feed, we were talking about maybe adding video to the podcast. So it wouldn't really be a podcast. I'd be, I'd be I'm not sure what it'd be, a video cast, but yeah. um, there's a picture behind you that is of your camp facility that's relatively new. And so that opened in the midst of the pandemic, right? You've.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, this is our actually our our, our Akron facility. I'm in oh. camp right now, but this is a picture of the Akron building. Uh, Never mind. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, it, it, but it, it looks very much the same. It looks very much the same. Um, you know, we built a forty thousand square foot state of the art uh, food bank from scratch, uh, and it was it was really kind of interesting as we were like, going through our pandemic responses and, and standing up all these food pay, food distributions and parking lots all over the place. We still had to spend every Tuesday here uh, at the job trailer trying to get this food bank built. Fortunately, we had the capital fundraising um, pretty much done by the time the pandemic kicked in. So we didn't have to be out, you know, worrying about uh, collecting capital gifts. And, you know, we we're at a stage of the construction that was really kind of in the hands of the builder. Uh, so uh, on July 1st of 2021, we cut the ribbon down here on this food bank, and we've been going gangbusters down here ever since. I mean, uh, you know, I was walking around this morning, and you know, we've got tons of charities picking up their food here. Uh, there was a big group of people from Hendrickson Company down here volunteering, uh, sorting out uh, non-food items this morning. So, you know, I want to encourage anybody, welcome anybody that wants to come down and take a tour or volunteer. You know, in this area, that uh, we'd love to have you down. We'd love to show you this new food bank. We're really proud of it. That we need help. Um, You know, right now, uh, sorting food and getting food boxes built, just like always, and want to offer this facility as a place too, where if you have a nonprofit organization and you want to have meetings, we've got some really cool meeting spaces as well. So, And the idea of the camp facility was, you know, everyone didn't have to drive back
0: where you're doing the same things and need volunteers there, too. But it was just kind of to more not force everyone have to come to Akron, some of these organizations. You said someone's driving from New Philadelphia and it's a pretty, pretty big drive to Akron and Canton at least is a a shorter distance for them
1: and, and to better serve those underserved communities. Yeah, it was a service play for sure. I mean, uh, the cheapest thing for us to do would have been just to make everybody keep driving to the food bank in Akron. Um, you know, but you know, I, I think that you know, when we're in a position, and I think the community, you you can you, when you make a case to the community that well things could be better if we do this, if we invest in this, it could be better and easier for people. Uh, it can create opportunities for involvement that can further a lot of other important programmatic activities. Um, you know, the community uh, will get, get behind those things, and so certainly um, we've been able to increase the amount of service directly to people you know and it was a big uh, expansion for us in terms of our capacity as well you know there was one point in the pandemic in 2020 that we had food in five different warehouses because we were getting all this product in from the government uh, we were running gangbusters. And um, it was logistically really complicated. And, and, you know, we'd already outgrown our warehouse there in Akron, which, by the way, we are going to be expanding as well. And that's something else we can talk about. But, you know, this this has provided us a lot more logistical um, efficiency uh, as you know that we can take to the work. And so you are looking at changing the campus in in Akron that better serve
0: folks and also may better serve your needs too a little bit in terms of operations.
1: Yeah, that's right. You know, we had never run a, well, actually, I I correct that. We had never run a food pantry out of our building until we opened in Canton. The first pantry we, we ever opened and ran directly, though, was at the Le, LeBron James School, the I Promise School. That was our first pantry. Um, and then our second one was here uh, in Canton. And we've learned a ton. And that was kind of one of the motives for doing it. You know, we wanted to create uh, access to food security for people that lived in this neighborhood. Uh, but we also knew if we ran a food pantry ourselves we'd learn a lot about what it what it is, and, and then we could bring maybe some more ideas to scale, like the Order Ahead program we talked about, talked about earlier. Now, so, we're going to be putting also a, a food pantry in our Akron facility, along with expanding the warehouse and the cooler and freezer, which is always high-demand space and the most expensive to build. And so, you know, we're going to hopefully get those uh, renovations going uh, and wrapped up sometime in, what's next year, 2023? Yeah, 2023. All right. Before I let you go, I think I have to ask this question because I think
0: I, I should. Yeah. What is, the, what is the strangest donation you've ever had? I know you had a truckload of cilantros right up there, but what was it? A can of something
1: or just anything you're like, huh, well,
0: that's, uh yeah. That.
1: So you know, the, uh, this, I'll have to go way back for this one. Um, but it was back when I worked at a different food bank, the food bank in Flint, Michigan. I don't even know who gave it to us, but we had a whole, you know, it was, I don't know if it was a truckload, but, but six or seven big, big totes full of buffalo hearts. And uh, so, so I had it's a an acquired group. taste to the buffalo. Uh, rice. It is an acquired taste, and uh. best served with rice. Yeah, we distributed all of them, you know, and and, and people, they got eaten. Uh, but um, uh, I uh, was given a tour group uh, with a bunch of elementary school students and, and we went into the freezer. And so I, I got them out and I showed them this Buffalo hearts and we, I handed them all a Buffalo heart. And they just all thought it was really cool. Well, you know, wouldn't you know it? A couple of weeks later, I got a batch of thank you notes from those kids and they all talked about how much uh, how excited they were to see those Buffalo hearts. So that's probably the, the, the most unique donation.
0: And you probably topped the uh, tour of the sewage su- treatment plant that year.
1: We got yeah, to buffalo. Right. Heart. Yeah. yeah, we had cool frozen buffalo hearts. So, you know, but we get all kinds of interesting uh, donations. And it's crazy, though, like, you know, there is just a lot more openness and willingness to to take advantage of uh, opportunities um, if you let people choose. And I, I've always said that, like, you know, let, I don't want to be the one that like I'm not going to eat the buffalo heart. But I'm not going to say no to them if somebody else will, because there's nutrition in them. Native Americans have been eating them for thousands of years, you know. And so there's nutrition there. And and people will take those things, you know, wild game, you know, meats. We'll distribute those things when we get them or, you know, a truckload of Splenda or Gatorade or,
0: you know, Diet Coke. And I'll tell you as a volunteer, I'm like, they had Rolos, you know, you roll a Rolo to your pal. They were giving out Rolos. I'm like, well, this way makes me want to get in the car and just drive through the line to get yeah. my Rolos. You know, years
1: ago, I don't know if you remember this when, uh, and I think there may be still some folks living along. There's a a little patch down, I guess, by the north side area in uh, Akron where, you know, homeless people will set up tents and kind of live along the railroad tracks there. And Sean Freeman, a local volunteer, uh, he was organizing a group of people. We we got some backpacks together and loaded up our backpacks with with oranges and and fruits and self-righteousness. You know, I felt like in a way like uh, I was really going out in the mission field. And that's something I'm always having to be mindful of, you know, is that it's a blessing for us to serve, you know. But anyway, you know, we got out there and we were talking to people that were living out here in the woods in the wintertime uh, in downtown Akron. Uh, and I had a bunch of oranges, but the things that they were most excited to get were the chocolate bars and cough drops. And it was just a good reminder to me that, you know, not not to make judgments about you know, what people will take. And, then, you know, it's a blessing for some people to have a chocolate bar at the end of the day. I know I like it or a cough drop if you're living outside and your throat hurts. So, you know, so I, I, I'm i I'm pro-choice where food. People for you know people figuring out their food needs is concerned all the way. Well, it's to be said about meeting people where they're at. You know, that's right.
0: Some places. Well, thank you so much, Dan. This was fantastic, and 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 like you said, if anybody wants to learn more
1: about the campaign, they can visit your website at akroncantonfoodbank.org yep you can learn you can learn about harvest for hunger you can sign up and volunteer there uh, and most importantly uh, akroncantonfoodbank.org we have a food finder you can find food pantries uh, that are serving you know folks in your community and uh, you know it's not it's not something to be embarrassed or ashamed of if you need help we all need help from time to time and we want to help you that's what we're here for so thank you craig uh, for having me on here today and uh, you know I'll, I'll, I'll join your show anytime if you want to talk about books or anything you want to talk about
0: Well, I'm probably going to join everyone else, and I'm going to Google recipes for buffalo hearts as soon as this is over. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. That's all the time we have today for the Now You Know Actor Podcast. Be sure to join us next week. Episodes release every Wednesday, wherever you download your favorite podcasts. They're also available on BeaconJournal.com and all our various apps. Before we go, I have to thank our producers, Darren Warbick, and also Patrick Flaherty, who puts this all together. And we urge you to support local journalism by becoming a subscriber. If you've already signed up, well, you know the routine. You have my heartfelt thanks. Until next week, now you know Akron. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh